Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Dr. Andy Galpin is the Director of Education in the Center for Sport Performance at CSU Fullerton. He played college football at Linfield, where he won a national championship and served as captain of the team for two seasons. His athletic career also took him down the weightlifting path, where he placed as high as seventh in the national championships. He has competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts as well. But he is way more than that. The guy is also a PhD in human bioenergetics. We learn a little of his story in the interview, so I won't spoil it for you, but the guy has been everywhere, done nearly everything, and although he's pretty young still, he's one of the most respected names in the field. Alex and I have been fans for him for a while, so we were really excited to bump into him down in Charlotte. The guy is loaded with great things to say, so pay attention, and I hope you learn a lot. So, uh, my day job, I am a college professor and a scientist. Um, I am at the Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton, so I'm the director of that. And that has a bunch of laboratories, biomechanics and exercise physiology and strength and muscle physiology within that center. So my job is to do research that improves sport performance. And uh, as a part of that, I, I teach classes on strength and conditioning and program design and nutrition, and I, I work directly with um, a, a decent amount of professional athletes, mm-hmm. generally just the elite ones, and um, mostly in combat sports, so right. MMA and wrestlers and boxers and things like that. So I'm a little bit coach, a little bit practitioner, a little bit scientist, a little bit teacher. Which is the best way to be, and I think the reason that we were so happy to talk to you at the NSCA conference and then again today is because you do find a way to kind of marry those things, right? Too often we find people uh, that are back, you know, in the back rooms doing the research uh, with slides under microscopes who can't communicate to the people on the front and and vice versa. The people on the front don't know sometimes exactly what to look for and what is truly backed by science. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about, well, I'd like to know about your approach to that methodology specifically, how you bridge that gap. And also I'd like to hear about how you found this work. Well, the the first part, how we bridge that gap is you got to understand, you know, I have a PhD and I've got these awards and these fellowships and, and all that stuff, and but I, I still don't identify as a scientist. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's not who I am. So as I'm running science, I'm still thinking of this as, you know, how this would affect my training. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> does this mean anything to the people I'm working with? Or when I was playing college football, would this have mattered to me or what limitations does this have? And so I always look at it from that lens. So when I see a study, um, as an example, I think, would that or would that have not made any difference to me as a college football player? Would that have applied to me is what I'm saying. Um, And now working with professional athletes, uh, I view those things from a very different lens with the same problem, which is to say, okay, well, what worked or didn't work for a college-age average college student, kinesiology major, Right. That may or may not be true for my world champion, my Olympic gold medalist, because her physiology is just very different. Mm-hmm. So I always have that lens to look through, and that gives me some pause with the science, and it also gives me pause with the other side of the equation to not just be too um, coaching friendly and just you know disregard all the science because we are learning so much. I mean, we just a new paper came out last night that I saw um, showing that the brain actually metabolized protein at four to five times higher than muscle. Hmm. And I didn't even know the brain metabolized protein. Yeah. 
So my point is, the science is teaching us stuff every day that there's just a lot we don't know about. So I, th I think it's arrogant and it's short-sighted to just go to one or one or another end of the spectrum. So yeah. that that's kind of my approach is, you know, I'm simply sitting here going like, I'm just as ignorant and stupid about these things as the rest of you all are. Yeah. So how could I ever act like any different? Yeah, well, I'm going to, I don't think you are. Let me let me say that, and, and if, if for no other reason because of that approach, exactly right. A little bit of humility can take you a long way, right? If you're willing to look hard and do the work, uh, you can probably come to the conclusion or the results that you're after. I, th I wonder. I mean, this is that is a perfect introduction to um, some of your other research and some of the things that we've heard you talk about. Do you think our current way of communicating like the Twitterverse is in part like the culprit for that we're looking for 100 character answers to complex problems is that a component um, would you say yes yes and no um i i don't really go that because i think we've been doing that way before twitter anyways that's fair yep um so i don't think that maybe that has exacerbated it slightly i think instagram is probably worse for mm -hmm. that um, than Twitter, because at least in Twitter you can link to things. Um, but right. it yeah. is it's the general problem of the internet is is the issue in terms of uh, we're not interested in deep discussion anymore. We're not interested in learning trait. We're interested in Googling and getting the answer. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and that, I think, is the general problem. And, and it's not necessarily any one of these specific modalities, but it's it's the fact that we don't even... I mean, you know what's crazy is... We've gone so quickly. So our generation, we grew up pre-internet, mm -hmm. right? And then we were in this very small generation after that, which were like, awesome, I'm going to use Google and find anything I want to know. This is so awesome. Mm -hmm. And that lasted for a few years, and we're already out of that. My students, dude, like, it's crazy. My students won't even Google things. Really? What do you mean? Like, they, they want to know the answer. They just want to, they won't even take the time to Google it to find the answer. <laughs> Right, the forty-five seconds is too much now. Right? No, for sure. Yeah. If, if, if like I have it constantly when I uh, make a post on my Instagram, mm -hmm. and I usually make a post and it'll be the title of the article, oh yeah, like on the picture, and I'll get a hundred comments about like send me the link, or I'll get personal DMs, dude, send me the link to that paper, or mm -hmm. from people I don't even know, like people I have no idea who they are, yep, random things, send me the paper. Like, are you kidding me? The title is right there. Google the damn title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're so lazy that yeah. you're that far. And I think that is where, and we went through that really quickly because yeah, you know, just a few years ago, people would have been excited. My students, even 20-year-olds, would have been like, awesome, let me go Google that and find that because I now know I have the ability to find this thing that I was telling you I'm super interested in. Yeah. But this next wave is, you're not even, you're, you think you're interested, you say you're interested, but you're not even interested enough to take the picture, remember kind of the title, and Google it. Because, you know, with Google, yeah. it's pretty good. You don't even have to get the title right or close right. to it. Right, get it'll auto-correct couple of keywords and it's going to get you right directly to the link mm. but they're not interested so it, what what, it, what you end up having is people who are um not, i won't say lazy is the right word because it's, it's just they're being efficient with their time i guess but they're they're not as interested in things that they think they are yeah because there's no cost they didn't have to put there's no skin in the game to them right and that's that's a real difference between people really committing and, and diving deep and hard into something mm -hmm. and really being a passion versus somebody who has no skin in the game. It's like, eh, okay, well, I'm not even going to put the skin in the game, which is five seconds to type it. Yeah, You're never really going to understand anything. You're never really going to develop a passion for anything because you won't really commit and go into anything. You don't put any work into something, it doesn't give anything back. Yeah, totally right. It's, it's exactly right. And I guess that's why uh, part of my stance on – social media in the current state of, of information transfer is that 
uh, at least in the high school and probably early college age kids, I, 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 it's, I, don't, I almost don't blame them, right? I, I am in a no, state where no. I'm trying to coach them out of it. But like from when they were a little kid, like maybe when we were little kids, you get sat down in front of a Disney movie uh, for attention control if things were super hectic. Now you've got one of these freaking these mini computers in your hands from the time you know you can't speak yet, but you can mm-hmm. but you can navigate um, whatever these games are and things like that. I, I'm I'm fairly convinced from a I have a little bit of a background in cognitive neuroscience, not a lot, but some, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and and attention is what the brightest minds in the world are always after, right? And in order to get that, you have to undercut the existing attention level, right? So by the time one of these kids gets to 22, 23, they're in college, uh, they've got to write a dissertation or whatever it might be, uh, they've been through a lifetime of, uh, you know, systematically, the, the systematic undercutting of their attention by the brightest minds in the world so that maybe they can't hold it, right? Maybe 45 yeah. seconds has become too long in the attention span of the current people. Yeah, it, it's absolutely true, man. It's completely crazy. And I'll, we're equally guilty, right? Yeah. Um, we just, we weren't, they're in a worse situation than we were, right? We weren't, we didn't grow up like that. We we were a little bit of adults before that actually happened. So we had mm-hmm. some skill sets prior to getting into that. Right. Uh, and, and But but I'm falling almost as bad, right? It's like I'm constantly checking my phone for no reason, right? I'll do literally one minute of work and then look back at my phone. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you doing that? And all of a sudden, like the clicker is on Facebook, and like, what? I, geez, I didn't even want to get to Facebook right now. I was yeah, trying right. to get some work done. Right. Um, and so I will do different things, set boundaries. There's there's tricks you can do, but then there's also just mentally deciding like I'm not going to check my phone until I'm mm. done with this task, things like that. Totally. But it is a, it is a skill set. I think um, Stephen Kotler talked about this very well in, in some of his books, with how that compromise is getting into flow, mm-hmm. which athletes speak flow is a fancy science word for being in the zone. And this is when time, you know, goes by really fast or really slow. You lose a sense of self. You get extremely productive. You get really focused. And I actually had a really interesting conversation with our university about two weeks ago about this. Because I get very irritated how they pull us in a thousand tiny little directions. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to, I, I finally expressed to them, it's not about the time. It's about the attention that you're sucking from me. Mm-hmm. I can't ever get really deep into something, which means I can't do really high-level problem-solving or really high-level creativity because I'm so worried about the next email that says, oh, take this online training. Oh, show up to this meeting. Oh, boom, do this. And I'm like, y- you're sucking my attention constantly. I never go more than five minutes without something popping up in my inbox that's some little five-second task. Right. And I say, like, well, it's not that much time. I know it's not that much time, but you're right. sucking my attention, and, you- and it's always different related tasks. So I got to go do this, and then I got to go do this, and then I got to do this. Mm-hmm. Try to write, like, you know, for any young people out there, if you're a coach and you're trying to write a program, right, this is a really, right. like, you have, your brain has got to be in this whole thing, because you've got to be looking at the last day, the first day, and factoring all the coaching situations in, plus the, the art of program design, and then try to do that while you're keeping up with all your text messages, and turn all your notifications on your phone on, Right. make sure you don't miss a single notification, right. turn all your email sounds on. Like you will never, and I guarantee you, you'll make a huge mistake in your program. You'll leave out a whole section. You'll do mm-hmm. something massively wrong because your attention is sucked. So all those things need to go away. Um, the email stuff, do not have notica- notifications on your phone. Do not have your email stuff mm-hmm. going. There's a time and a place for that. But when it's like, hey, sit down and I got to get a really important task done, whether it's study or I've got to do this, you're much better just going like, all right, I'm going to set up 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, my phone's gone. Like I'm just not going to be there. And I'm just going to work for 30 minutes. That's not very long. Right. Boom, I'll knock that thing out, I'll be done with it, and then I'll have the next hour to dick around and go do whatever else I want it to do. Right. But the partial, the continual partial attention 
means you never have full attention. Uh, and that's a real problem, and it's, it's, it's just things we're going to have to set up groundwork for in the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm, gonna, I'm writing that down. Give me one second. Continual partial attention means you'll mm-hmm. never have full attention. It's true. It's, uh, it's the, parado- the paradox of multitasking, right? We think we're capable oh, yeah. because, we're, because we're kind of progressing forward and checking all these tiny little boxes, but there's no actual good thought that's going on. Um, yeah. like, I guess it was almost two and a half years actually, ago. Actually, I'll put it this way. Sorry to cut you off, but like, no. you don't ever get anything really good done that way. Mm-hmm. So I heard something from, uh, I think this was, I can't remember who said it. I, I, I hate not getting credit for people when they do cool stuff. So, man, I, I feel bad for this. We can look it but up. I we think, can add it to the show notes, right? <laughs> um, I, I don't remember. It might have been on Tim Ferriss' show or he said it. But uh, he had gone through a list of people and Dr. Dre was one of them. Hmm. And Dr. Dre said something like, if you've never worked for 72 straight hours on something with hmm. nothing else, you've never done anything important. Hmm. I'm like, that, that, like, how did he make beats? He got an idea, and 72 hours later, he didn't take a break, he didn't sleep, and that turned into a billion dollars for him. Bill Gates, I mean, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, all these people have these things where it's like, wow, they were so focused on something. Yeah. And that's how you get something really awesome and really cool done, is you just go, whoa, and everything else goes away. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's three days of his 55-year-old life, and now he's a billionaire. And it's a different kind of 55-year-old life. Yeah, exactly, right? He's a billionaire because he worked for three days. If I turned right. around to all, all of you high school or college kids, if, if any of you were listening, I said, hey, if you give me three days, I could make you a billionaire. Every one of you would be like, I'm in. Yeah. But yeah. you're not willing to do that when I don't put that billion guaranteed in front of you. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Andy, I love our kids that we work with. I'm not convinced they could hold three straight minutes without some sort <laughs> of incentive, right? Without some clear incentive at the back end, which is like, you know, it's... And again, and there's not really a judgment in that. In certain days, it gets frustrating, nope. but but uh, that's just that's the population we're working with, uh, yep. for better or worse. It reminds me. But that, it's, it's, again, it's not their fault because this is a system that was designed right. against them. Right. That's and exactly grew, right. And and, yeah, and, so and to solve these. Yeah. No. Totally. And, and what you're doing, and I think what we're hoping to do is uh, to s- solve these problems, or, or maybe not even call them problems, just to get to kind of the best possible balance of all of this stuff uh, is to pay attention to what people are paying attention to. So the, one of the first steps is acknowledging what is um, stealing attention from them, mm-hmm. um, which might be a great segue. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, Unplugged, which I know uh, my guy Alex, who you know, um, really dug into it and it kind of changed his life. I know he could tell the story better, but he felt a lot of the same impulses that you were just mentioning, right? And Alex, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but uh, second day, without his phone would would be walking down the hallway in a school where there are people and there are things to do and people to talk to you uh, 10 steps down the hallway reaching for his phone for no particular reason just sort of the yeah. impulsive grab yeah i mean the, the book is called unplugged evolve from technology to mm-hmm. upgrade fitness performance and consciousness and what that really is is um it, it's it's our position on how to deal with some of these uh, from a sport and fitness and, and even a bigger perspective um, but it, it's all those things. It's it's heart rate monitors. It's uh, using apps on your phone to check your technique when you're lifting. Mm-hmm. All these things are great, and we are in a far better world because of technology, mm-hmm. no doubt. But we, we do need to understand, and the last word of that book, consciousness, is really what we're talking about. Like, are you simply aware? So the fact that Alex is now aware, like, he had that habit, now he has control over it. 
but how many weeks or months or years were going by when he wasn't even aware that right. he was doing that. And that's the level we're talking about. So I'll give you a coaching example. Um, I love to use the mirror as an example. And now you could use a mirror, which is a very low-level technology, or you could have uh, a really fancy motion capture app on your phone when you record video and then show your athlete. Either way, it's the same idea, right? It's just one really high-level technology with one low-level technology. Well, you could say, okay, um, if you've ever tried to squat in front of a mirror, mm -hmm. okay, there's pros and cons to that. Uh, but if you ever try to do something explosive in front of a mirror, it's very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do a snatch in front of a mirror. You can't watch yourself while you're doing a clean and jerk. Hmm. You're going to be terrible because by the time you see what's happening, you're already physically way past that point. You can't make any adjustments, so you end up way being behind. Your eyes are behind the, with the movement. Sure. So it's very ineffective. That doesn't mean you shouldn't ever use uh, a mirror or shouldn't ever use a video, but let's, let's set up scenarios when we understand when to use it and when not to use it, or another way, what's good about it and what's bad about it. So, for example, if, if I have an athlete and I'm trying to coach them to be in the proper position for a squat and they're just not getting it, mm -hmm. you use the mirror and they can see themselves. And now what happens is they can internally, they start like, they'll be looking at the mirror and they'll be, they'll be moving their hips in and twisting one to the side and, they, and they're trying to figure out, I know what position it's supposed to look like, yep. but I don't know what that feels like yet. And they can use the mirror or the phone with the video playback or whatever. And they can eventually feel it. But what the technology did, the technology itself didn't fix the problem. It just let them feel it in their own, in their own, their own selves. They, their own physiology fixed the problem. Mm -hmm. Not the technology. But here's the, here's the issue. Most people would do that. If then you go, okay, great. Therefore, every time you squat, go ahead and use the mirror because you need to be able to see what position you're in. That is extremely limited because then they won't ever never actually develop the skill to be in the proper squat position if they don't have the visual feedback. Right. Which is going to be a problem if the mirror breaks. It's going to be a problem if the battery runs out. It's going to be a problem when they go to sport because they're not going to have that mirror there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a problem the rest of the time in their life, right? A true athlete can not only feel the position, but then they also understand what happened that caused the position. And then finally, the last step is... They know what to do to fix the position, and they can do all that real time just based on one thing. How did it feel? Hmm. And so with the book, what we're really trying to do is saying, yeah, definitely use the technology. But make sure we understand, hey, the potential consequences all of the time, every time you use technology for your training, it should be as a way to go back to you. Right. Helping you learn to feel things and diagnose things. And the same argument we would make with uh, people using apps on their phone or watches to measure how many steps they take in a day. Yeah, right? right. It should help you learn what what being physically active feels like. The ten thousand number, ten thousand steps a day thing. There's no magic with ten thousand. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like nine thousand nine hundred ninety is bad for you, but ten thousand ten is all right. of a sudden great. Right. Right. It's just a metric of going like, oh my gosh, I thought so. Technologies are good for things like awareness. Like I wasn't even aware that I was checking my phone there. Um. There's an app, by the way, that you can get on your phone. This is so ironic. But you can get an app on your phone that allows you to, that tells you how many times you check your phone throughout the day. I've heard about this, actually, yeah. And people grossly underestimate how many times they check their phone. Right. What do the numbers look like, approximately? It's bet between the hours of 5 and 8 p.m., mm -hmm. it's something between like 6 and 8 times a minute. Um, per minute? Yeah. 
depending on the studies, some of them have yeah. shown like 500 to up to 2,000 times a day people check their phone. It's unbelievable. If you ask people, they generally say something like 50 to 100. Right. And so people are just not even aware how much they're they're doing those things. Right. Um, it's good for calibration. It's good for you know athletes being like, I don't have any idea how fast I'm doing or how well I'm moving. And right. I didn't even realize what my squat looked like until I saw that video feedback. Now I'm much more aware. Um, but it can have a bunch of problems, which is becoming over-reliant on technology and under-reliant on your own physiology, um, which is yeah. why, and again, I'll do the same thing, but going back to what we talk about, you know, don't if you're listening at home, don't feel bad because I still literally do the same thing myself. Right. I'm just better about it now, mm-hmm. and hopefully in another year I'll be even better about right. it, but it, exactly. it is a slow process. Um, but things like your own creativity kills you. So mm-hmm. you're at a stoplight for two seconds, and what do you do? Reach for your phone, right? Yep. Oh, you want to check your phone because you want feedback because your brain is so bad about just working. Mm-hmm. You want stimulus. You want input at all times. If you're waiting at the restaurant for five minutes, right. you pull your phone out, check Twitter. Instead of sitting there and letting the creative process, you have subconscious problem solving. You think about things. You reflect on the day. You think about mm-hmm. that thing you got coming up next. All this problem solving happens. This creativity happens. But you kill all that when you constantly bring in stimuli. Right. And so I would challenge yourselves to next time you're doing that, it's like, okay, pull your phone out judiciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, sometimes you've got to check your, your texts and, and you've got to check your emails and some of you, social media is, and there's nothing entirely like 100% wrong with social media. So, okay, yeah, check your sure. thing. But do you need to check Instagram 185 times a day? Like, probably not. I don't really see how anyone needs to justify that, right? Mm. Could you literally check Instagram four times a day? I'll give, I'll give you 10 times a day. I'll give you once an hour. Set an right. alarm from the time you wake up. Once an hour, you get to check Instagram. That's a lot. That seems That's like a lot. That's a day, <laughs> which is a tenth of what, how many often people are actually checking. That's unbelievable. Right. And so just doing things like that, um, I, I think you'll notice that you'll be spending more time with people. You'll have much deeper corrections than the research on long-term happiness mm-hmm. uh, and longevity suggests that one of the most one of the strongest predictors of how long they're going to live is how many deep personal connections you have with people. Absolutely. Money, yeah. health, all this goes out. It's not number of people you know. It's not number of friends. It's how deep, how many deep. So if you have two or three really deep connections with people, suggests that's gonna you're probably going to live longer than people that have a 1,000. Ready for this? I got 5,000 friends on Instagram. Right. Ooh. You don't have one in real life, though. Yeah, exactly right. Right, so that that stuff is all dressing. It, it's it's actually negative friends because it probably actually creates a lot of negative energy when you're like, oh my god, why didn't Alex like my post today? Exactly. Right. That's right. The hell, and then all these other problems go on. The hell, Alex. So they're not real friends. I'm sorry. So. That no, was a lot. I know. But you got no, it's and dude. It, it it is um. It's an essential essential point. Be like, uh, the research, the psychological research uh, would suggest that conscientiousness is the number one determining factor of longitudinal lifelong success so you mentioned consciousness at the end of your book like that's what it is and, and, and again that idea just keeps ringing true to me uh, whatever tech you use should ultimately be re- referring back to you somehow it should be uh, you know I use the term well considered when I when I talk about your approach and your process that's it there's I, I don't I don't really see uh, a way of jumping that otherwise you neglect the core and are only on the periphery like the like-based economy of social media that we're kind of talking about. One thing I'd love to hear what you think, I hope it lent itself to your way of thinking, but like when we're in the weight room, we try as often as possible 
to go for reciprocal teaching so that not only um, you know are, are you not reliant necessarily on the mirror or the tech but there is a there's another student who is learning as they go they're practicing uh, interteam you know communication and and learning to take uh, you know not criticism but they're learning to be held accountable by a teammate and and that's kind of one of our core methods would that fall into this line of thinking would you say uh, no it's it's actually perfect it's, it's really funny because you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm in my early 30s, mm-hmm. right? And I, I was a college professor at 27. And I at, at this magical, magical, magical time where again the, the internet was still just kind of getting rolling. And in the the seven, eight, eight years I've been here now, it's done a 180. And I, I promise I'm getting your question here, but it's funny because what you just mentioned there, I think, is the most important thing that educators need to be doing right now, mm-hmm. right? When, when my parents were in school, or well, probably when I was going through school, teachers had to go through a lot of pedagogy. They, so people spent a lot of time learning this, the theory, the tactics behind quality teaching experiences. Right. And reciprocal teaching—that was a perfect example of a very standard approach, right? Yep. And then we went through this wave very early in my career. I was like, you know what? I don't need to do any of that stuff because what I need to do is teach these kids how to use the internet because the internet is the future, this is a new thing and these kids need to have the skill set of getting through the internet. Yeah. And it was totally true and that went by, went by in like three years and now I'm like, whoa, that's the exact wrong thing now. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in school and whether the university systems were built, they were built the, and you would pay these exorbitant fees to come take my university classes because I was this grand wizard who had this information and this knowledge that no one else in the world had and you were going to pay high levels and do anything I said and be my basically slave because I had this information. The only way you could ever get was from me. Hmm. And now that information is everywhere. Right, right. I mean, there's virtually nothing I teach or talk about that you can't get on Wikipedia. Right. Let alone the rest of the internet. Just Wikipedia. It's right. all probably right there. I remember when Wikipedia first started, actually, everyone's like, this thing was bogus and it was always wrong all the time. And now I'm like... Legit, you could run your whole class off Wikipedia. Yeah, you probably like, could, right? It's pretty close, right? Yeah. So my point is, though, now I've, I've left all that, and I, don't, I, I hardly teach information anymore. Like, information is gone from my classes. I just, it's just mm. not important. It changes, it's wrong, and they, they don't need this. Kids do not need this skill set of knowing information anymore. Mm. Yeah. They need those type of skill sets. Mm. Right? We need to go back to the very beginning of pedagogy, which is, can we do things like problem solving? Can we do things like working with another human being? Can we apply this, this critical thinking in the real world as we're going, right? We have to have a certain amount of knowledge so that we can have better tactics and conversations. Right. But it's really minimal on knowledge and really maximal on those skill sets. So, so not only does that apply to the book, man, but I think that is exactly what we should be focusing on is we're going back to where we were with pedagogy, which is, okay, let's bring out some of these, these crazy tactics. Like what I do in my classroom now it's it's wild. Like it's completely crazy madness in my classrooms what now. Is, yeah. What does it look like? Because I'm I'm hardly ever teaching anymore. Mm. <laughs> what I do is I make a bunch all the material I make all I make, like I go through all the lectures, I cover all the information, I put all those lectures up online, and I'm like, hey, all right, go, you know, read those things before we get to class, or watch those videos on YouTube. It's all free, right? It's up there. Yeah. And then when you get to class, um, like my my grad class um, Wednesday, they have to do. Uh, they have to put together a training program. They have to put themselves through the actual 10-week training program. And then they have to uh, you know, take pre-post measures. And so we spent two and a half hours in class yesterday, one by one, 
going through them and working as a whole class for every single person's individual project, maximizing the effectiveness and boiling down the questions. Hmm. So, for example, I had one person came in and said, okay, I'm going to actually write a program for my mom. Nice. Okay, great. No problem. What's your mom's primary goal? Weight loss. Okay, so then we start going through what, what pre-post measures are you going to take, right? What objective, what subjective measures are you going to take? But then what we really did is this stuff. And this is, like, dude, this is nowhere in my syllabus. This is nowhere in a textbook. I don't even know, like, this is not even a part of the course objectives. But this is really what I'm trying to talk about. So I said, okay, great. Why is your mom interested in weight loss? Uh, uh, what do you mean? Like, well, why does she care about weight loss? Well, you know, honestly, like, she doesn't really care that much about weight loss. What she care about? No, she just actually, like, wants to, wants to feel better, like, have more energy. Why does she care about that? Well, actually, because um, my sister just had a kid, and now she's got a grandkid, and so she just wants to be, like, around with the grandkid. So, dude, you're not writing a weight loss program. Right. What are you writing? I'm writing, like, I want a higher quality of life program. Great. And then we throw the whole pro- we end up re-engineering the whole program. Sure. So we got totally different goals. Weight loss was a small part of it, but it was, like, way down the list, and we end up having totally different measures. And we do that with every single person's program, right? Right. We have this, and we're re-engineering, like, what the real thing is. And I'm teaching them it's a little bit of psychology, it's a little bit of program design, it's a little bit of physiology, and we're going through things and saying, like, no, that's not a, that's not a leg strength training program. That is a quality of movement program. So right. what you're going to do is you're going to go to the biomechanics lab, and there's three-dimensional motion captures, and your pre-post testing is going to be you're going to do squats at 85% for as many reps as you can while capturing all in, in three-dimensional motion. Then you're going to digitize each joint, and you're going to quantify the quality of the movement hmm. pre-post. Right? I had a girl in there. She's a grad student, um, but she's really into motor control, motor learning for babies, actually. It's her research line, Wow, which is really crazy. That is cool. But she was like, her program was for her own self, and she, she wanted to get stronger. And she's like, I want to get, you know, improve my squat. And so why do you want to improve your squat? Uh, well, because I feel like my legs aren't very strong. Well, why, why do you care about that? Well, Bo is done to, she's like, I'm a grad student in strength and conditioning, and I don't really know how to deadlift heavy. Hmm. I'm scared to squat heavy because I don't really know how to do it. So we, we eventually get down like, this is not this is not a leg strength program. This is a, I want you to be more confident and feel better about lifting heavy weights. Right. So we re-engineered the whole program. The goals are completely different. The metrics are completely different. All that stuff. So that's the type of stuff that I can teach them. And, and it's not specifically information, although we cover the information like in, in other stuff. But it's that it's the same thing what you're talking about. Like it's doing things in class and it's really critical thinking and it's working with other people. And the best part was... I tried to do as little of that whole thing as possible. It was almost all student-led. Right. So they were working together in teams. They were figuring out those problems, and I was sort of you know, kicking them and moving them. Yeah. Yes, but but that's really it, man. I think that's where they're going to walk out of class, and I, I would be willing to bet in five years and ten years that's the type of stuff they're going to remember. They're going to be like, that's what changed my career. That's what made me decide I wanted to do this. That I, type of stuff. I guarantee it. And it's 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 amazing that uh, that you just said that. I did not know that's how your classes were structured. One of the core weeks uh, workshops that we do is something called character by design, where we uh, pretty much do exactly what you said you just did, which is uh, investigate what the light at the end of the tunnel actually is, right? Like what is propelling mm-hmm. us down this uh, creative path. Uh, I yeah. think people, you know, people jump in with, I want to get better at nutrition. Well, what, what exactly does that look like? I want to get stronger yeah. in what yeah. ways and for what reason. And th- only then can you outline the process. And you mentioned that yours is mostly student led. That's the best way to do it. Right. But, yep. but, uh, I- identifying where they're actually going and the facilitating, facilitating environment where there is the reciprocal teaching, there's the, uh, 
you, you know, all the components that you mentioned, that's how you ultimately get to a state of, of real investigation, true behavior change and actual growth because it, because it's student designed, the path is now a little truer than it once was, right? With, without you, uh, you know, the student you mentioned is going down this weight loss path uh, and in the worst possible case scenario for us, the way we think about it is what feedback loop is created. So you can imagine yeah, had yeah, you not yeah. clarified that uh, maybe the girl creates or, or guy, whoever it was, creates an environment where they're they're leading their mom toward a weight loss goal, which doesn't solve the actual problem. Yes. And then, you know, yep. then you start to question the process and, th and that becomes it's a whole different issue. That's literally, the, man, that's the exact conversation we had because I said, what's going to happen at the end of this eight weeks if she loses her weight? There you go. Yeah, exactly. What happens if you win? Mm -hmm. Oh, she's done because she won. Right, and you didn't set up a long-term plan, which was I want you. Basically, the goal of that program was I want you to learn to love to exercise. Hmm. Yeah, right, because you're That's trying awesome. to set up a yeah. long-term sustainable thing. And so, so what happens in eight weeks too if she loses weight? You've lost actually. Yeah, and yeah. you didn't solve the real problem. What What the upside of what if she doesn't lose the weight? Right. Well, now she's not. Okay, now she's done. Either way, no matter what you do, because you have this thing set up wrong. At the end of eight weeks, she's done exercising, most likely. Yeah. Right. And I asked, I asked him this. I said, "Would you consider this a success if, at the end of eight weeks, she lost one pound, mm -hmm. and she feels more energetic, she's happier every day, her legs are stronger, she feels more confident walking across the street and the on the on the ice, all these things." Right. And he's like, "That's a win." I said, "No, no. According to your goals, it's a loss." Hmm. Right. Like according to your goals, that program failed. So like you have to be very careful about about setting those things up, about about setting expectations, about setting goals, and understanding what really what they really are after. And uh, because you know because these kids have just been told and taught to just think surface level. Right. Right. Get the first thing out, get it done, because you've got to move on to the next project, because it's like this is just how it works, right? Like now let's really spend let's spend three hours on just figuring out what this program is going to be about. Totally. Which but, in general in class that's a five second activity, right? I'll get you got three minutes, come back and let me know what your goal is gonna be. All right, then we're yep. moving on. Right. right. Well it's like it's like the, the famous Einstein quote. Um like, what is it? It's like if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend fifty five minutes trying to define it, right? And yeah, or, yeah, or figuring out exactly. what the problem actually was and then and then the last little bit actually solving, solving. it. Solving. Exactly. in um, in the re in and I love this, it's kind of this is perfect because our our hope is that whatever is learned through sports and strength and conditioning and, and all this can be taken beyond one's career, right? The idea that if once your career is over, all this good thinking and, and application dies off, then what was it worth other than a, than a story down the line? But what you're talking about is, is a process that you can uproot and apply to anything in your life, right? You can take something similar and apply it to your relationships, uh, to your professional endeavors, whatever it might be. Super yep. valuable. Yeah, no, that's... um. You know, it's what my friend Kenny Kane calls high touch. It's like we're really trying to have high touch. Like I want to, instead of working with a thousand people uh, on a very surface level, I'd rather work with one person on a thousand things hmm. right, and get a real high touch done. Um, actually, it reminds me of uh, you're out there in the Midwest, right? Yeah, we're in, we're in about a foot of snow right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chicago at its uh, finest. I'm a huge, huge, just huge hip hop fan, nice. and uh, it reminds me of a line from a guy named Atmosphere. Absolutely. Or a atmosphere from Minnesota. Uh, and in one of the songs, it says something like, uh, you know, we're all uh, trying to get a head start before we get a head stone. Hmm. Um, but even a rich man dies alone. Hmm. Right. So it, it basically is saying, like, get up the high touch. And then it, the, the rest of the line goes something 
to the effect of, so we turn up the touch and, and connect the tone. So he's basically saying like, yeah, but this thing is all at the end of the day, man. It's all about those human connections. It's all about high touch and all that other stuff just goes away. So we're really trying to develop and communicate. And as technology, especially in coaching, gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're coaching online and we're doing online program stuff, we're losing that touch. And so we're losing that effectiveness. We're losing that connection. At the end of the day, from a coaching perspective, I feel like that even makes you lose the value of coaching. Part of the reason people coach is because it feels good when you work your ass off with one person and you know them personally. I mean, I was fortunate. I had one of my athletes win uh, an Olympic gold medal in Rio. And I lost it. Like, emotionally, I lost it when that happened because I had spent so many hours with this girl and just this is the wrestler? Yeah, and, yeah, and there were tears and just, like, all kinds of, like, my emotional connection to her is so deep mm -hmm. that when she won, and I have other athletes who have won world or similar titles like that, and I'm like, awesome, man, good for you. And I didn't really care because we didn't have that extra emotional touch because almost all of my coaching with those athletes have been virtual or online or I'd send them this thing. But her, like there was so much one-on-one -on -one really working through things. Um, yeah, like it, it's just different connections. So for me as a coach, it's way more rewarding for me to have that personal touch with that person. And of course it's way better for that athlete. So I think that's what we have to get to. And we can set up, uh, you know, as we're working through these things, we can set up skills that are transferring what we're doing now to long-term sustainability, that, mm -hmm. that I mean, that's what we're really after. Um, that's right. how we get ourselves in a position where, like, I don't have a job. Like, I don't know what my job is. I have no <laughs> idea what my job is. It doesn't start. Like, I don't know. Right, right. I'm sitting here on a Friday morning, man. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in a hat and sweatshirt and, and tennis shoes, and I'm talking to you dudes, and, and then i got to go to this stupid university meeting. Like, right. I guess this is work, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe this is personal. It's, I don't know. I, I think I think it's a, a combination, right? Like with everything, uh, it's about the most successful practices uh, yield results in relationships, right? And and uh, when you talk about sustainability or buy-in or whatever, that's exactly what it is. And and um, man, I hope I can. I mean, I guess I I do I feel the same way. I think if your goal is to help people reach their ultimate best, provide whatever you have to them to help them reach their ultimate uh, best and you see the results as a result of that process and you develop relationships along the way, then you're right, the, then the, 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 even the word work is sort of redefined. Yeah, right? absolutely. It can yeah. be at it all day, but, uh, but never really feels like labor. My friend, um, my friend Mike Bledsoe just had a really cool, um, I don't know, text or email or something, I don't know what he said, but he was saying something to the fact that he's like, you know, honestly, I don't get tired anymore. Because it took him a lot of years, and he's been working at this for probably 10 or 15 years, but he's now identified the types of activities that suck energy from him, mm -hmm. and the types of activities that give energy to him. And so now he's like, I just built my his income around the things that only bring him energy, and the yeah. things that, so he's like, I don't get tired anymore. He works Friday nights, he works Saturday mornings, because it's the same thing on Saturday morning that if you gave him a day off, he'd go do. He'd probably do it anyway, right? Yeah, that's what he's doing. And he's yeah. like, Tuesday morning is the same as Saturday night, and that's the same as Friday afternoon, and that's the same as Wednesday night, like, and that's the same as Sunday morning. Like, he's like, it's all the same for me now. I'm just like, I don't get tired anymore. I don't ever want breaks. I don't need vacations because I'm in like a perma vacation. So, um, to me, idea. like, that's the goal, man. And it's hard to figure those things out, but right. if you get there, man, it's a good spot. Well, as with all things that you say, it's it's probably a constant process of diligent yeah. looking and balance, and and uh, that's where it be. Well, we know that you got to get to this meeting, so 
Uh, yeah. What um, are you working on? Anything that you're excited about now, or how can uh, how can people reach out and find you, or or learn more about your work? Oh my gosh, dude! Um, everything I'm working on for the most part, except for this next meeting. Everything. Sure. Else is- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, boy, I don't even know where to start. Let's see. The book, of course, is out. Unplugged. Yep. Uh, that's on Amazon. How all that stuff. It. Yeah. Um, it's it's very easy read. It's got a lot of pictures, high quality. So. Uh, you don't have to be a college professor or scientist to, to be able to read that book. It's it's pretty easy to digest. Um, and we actually, I wrote it specifically for that purpose. I wrote it in a right. style and a format and a length mm-hmm. for mo- everyone to be able to digest. Smart um, but accessible, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it, it's there. So um, you can check out my website, which is just my name, andygalpin.com. And I, I upload all of my class material to that website for free. That's cool. There's... There's no membership fees. There's no newsletter to sign up for. There's not even a newsletter you could sign up for if you wanted to. Yeah. It's just 100% free. All my nutrition, training, exercise stuff. Um, That's great. It takes me time, but all that stuff is up there and will always be free. And um, I've got uh, I've got my podcast, which is The Body of Knowledge. That's on iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff, yep. thebodyknowledge.com. And that's a little bit different. It's, um, it's done kind of like Netflix, mm-hmm. where it's just short seasons so it's only six or eight episodes per season and we take five or six months off and come back and the whole season is a theme and kind of stories on top of stories and okay. about different things so the first season was about changing and this this next season which we're about to wrap up uh this weekend actually mm-hmm. um it's about sherpas or leaders oh wow and how we get to change so it's just uh, eight episodes and then you know they're 40 minutes each or something like that yeah so you can check all those things out and uh all those things are pretty excited, and then, yeah, man, I don't know, probably lots of other stuff. But. Well, that's awesome. Well, we are, we'll provide links to as much as we can find, and, and certainly all the things that you mentioned. Uh, cool. But, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to stay in touch, Andy. I hope that's okay. Uh, yeah. We really do appreciate your approach and all the information you're putting out there. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It's great talking to you guys, and I was really, really, really happy to, to meet you guys at NFCA. I'm super pumped we made this connection, guys. I am, too. Definitely. Me, too. All right, man. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.